Welcome back to the Picket Fence Podcast. This week we have a very, very exciting episode uh, and a great guest. Uh, joining us is Coach Mike Brown. Uh, coach Brown uh, was a head coach for 34 years. He accumulated 500 wins, five sectional titles, four regional titles, one semi-state title, and the 1999 2A state runner-up. Uh, coach Brown just told the most fantastic stories, gave us some great wisdom and coaching advice. We were so excited to have him on. We hope that you enjoy. Uh, we are jumping in mid-question with Coach Brown. Uh, we had a slight audio issue to start, uh, but he is beginning to break down his program philosophies uh, and how he approaches summer basketball. We hope you enjoy. You know, I coached 34 years, but I would argue that I coached 50 because the last 15 the first 20 were a half a year job. All right? Start in October, we end in March, have some stuff in the summer, but it's a half a year job. My last 15 years, it was a full year job. Right. So I feel like, in a way, guys like me have coached 50 years. Yeah. Because of the time you have to put in. And, you know, you wonder why there are so few young coaches wanting to get into it today. I think that's a lot of the reason. I really do, because it takes so much more time now than, than, than it used to take. I think it's, summer is very beneficial for this. You can get a peek into what your team may look like in the fall, knowing that guys are going to progress and some are going to get bigger and stronger, so on and so forth. But you can try them in spots and play them on different teams, varsity JV, JV freshmen, and get a pretty good idea of where you're at going into October. Um, that's, that's beneficial. The last 10 years that I coached, and Derek knows this, I, I let my uh, assistant coaches and JV coaches and freshman coaches coach the games. And I would sit on the bench and, and help with the players and help with the coaching. But I thought it was a great time, since we're doing so much of it, for young coaches to get a chance to get some coaching experience, you know, in, in officiated games. So I think it's good for those things. But, I, man, I'll tell you what, you're right on the verge of completely wearing kids out. And, you know, I know they've cut it back a little bit, and I think that's a good idea. I think it's great to have July off, but, you know, to be honest with you, in a small school like I was at, they go right into football when they come out of right. that period. So they're not getting much of a break. Um, so I think it's really, I hope it doesn't go any more the other way and comes back a little where it's just a little shorter. Um, you can still get done what you need to get done. Yeah. Yeah, you get in, we talk a little bit there about how, you know, the summer has obviously changed and the game's progressed, and now it's a 12-month-a-year, not only coaching job, but 12 months out of the – it's a calendar year for the players too. Uh, going back, looking at kind of when you started coaching compared to how the game looked like when you finished, how, how do you feel like the game evolved and changed from the time you got into it versus you retiring? I don't necessarily think it changed as much as maybe some people would say. Uh, it's, you know, obviously now it's it's way more technical and analytic and, and all those things. Um, you know, I used to meet Denny Dutas from Forest Park at Carefree Exit every Sunday when we swapped <laughs> Okay. Now, you know, you know how that is now. Um, but as far as the game goes, it mirrors pro and college, whether you want it to or not. Yeah. Three-point line, guard-oriented. Um, we used to try to play with post players that were 6'2 or 6'3. Yeah. They were still your post players, and everybody else had them as well. Now... The first thing you look for in a post player, in my opinion, in high school, is can he shoot the three? If he can go out and set a ball screen, 
and roll to the basket and step out and shoot a three and draw a bigger, slower post player out there with him on the opposing team, it's a big deal. Um, so I think it's changed to a more guard-oriented outside shooting kind of thing. I still think there are a lot of teams that utilize uh, big people the right way. You know? Yeah. When we when we were playing Silver Creek, Kaufman Rim was a post player. He could probably have, have you know impressed people more by playing outside and, and shooting threes and this and that. They parked him inside right where he belonged. And now that's where he belongs at Purdue. Right. Can he develop his game? Yes. But he was doing in high school what big players always have done. So I don't think it's changed as much. Um, but I, I do think any time you watch high school kids play, they are, they're a mirror of guys that they watch on TV. Yeah, that's a good point. We were talking to, when we talked to Coach Shannon, he kind of said the same thing about how you get into that the NBA, the college, how it just simply trickles down the ladder there, and eventually the high school game does sure. look to mirror those types of systems. And like you said, it's the players they watch on TV, and yep. now everybody's got you know their phone and social media right in front of them. So there's constant, you know, nothing but highlight reels at, at your fingertips. So yeah, it's amazing. You know, I, when I started out, uh, the post moves that I learned to teach my post players were from high school coaches. Yeah. And, you know, the last 10 years at least, go on YouTube and type in Hakeem Olajuwon post moves. You'll find all you want in 10 minutes. Right. With him demonstrating them, you know. So kids have access to a lot more of that, like you say, and I think they are wise to take advantage of it. And we're the beneficiaries of it, but but the game changes a little because of that. For sure. Do you think that um, do you think that the high school game would benefit by um, sticking to some of the things that you had said you started out teaching, or do you think it's going too far towards the pro and college game to where it's it's maybe hindering some high school teams and players? I don't think too much. You know. When you sit down and talk to high school coaches, they still talk about shell drill and Z drill and box outs. And I mean, if they're any good, that's what they talk about. You know, um, I think most high school coaches, young and older, still, is, is, well, in the state of Indiana, I think it is still the way it should be and the way it's always been as far as fundamentals being taught. If you are not a good teacher of fundamentals in Indiana, you're going to get tanned. There's there's no doubt. You're not going to play unless you have tons of talent. You're not going to get past coaches that are teaching it. So I don't think it's changed a whole lot. Obviously, the drills are a little fancier and a little better run now. I mean, I you know, the way we ran shell drill and things of that nature, uh, you know, 20 years ago compared to the ways you can get into it now and incorporate offense, sets, cuts into it, uh, transition into it, that's just from guys learning as we go how you can make things better. Um, but I, I still think that the best teams and the best coaches are the ones that, um, you know, you go watch them play and you know immediately that, fundamentally they're they're ready to go you uh looking back to talking about your 1999 team but getting your start coming across the river from from Kentucky but also being the assistant at Madison you've gotten to see the state tournament kind of function in two different formats with single class and then moving into the the four class system we have now is there one that you preferred? Do you think one is better than the other one, or did you even care because you had success in, in both realms there? Well, I'm not one of them, okay? But there are people, a lot of Paoli people, that say, were there class basketball when Sibbon and Combs played? We would have had three, three uh, state championships. We were the smallest school left in the state tournament 
with the exception of WRV, who would have been 1A. Okay. We would have been 2A. Well, I don't have any rings to show for that. So, <laughs> you know, that is what it is. Right. With that being said, we lost the rivalries. Uh, there are some still local rivalries, but we lost the rivalries. Uh, we lost the crowds, in my opinion. Um, more people are getting a chance to win. I've had people ask me this before, and what I've told them is this. I would much rather have lost to New Albany one year and Jeffersonville one year who went on to win the state than the years that we went to the semi-state and the state finals in class basketball. Okay. It, was, it was great for our community. I mean, it, you know, you're playing in the RCA Dome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, you can't beat that. And I wouldn't take that away from our kids that, that had to play in the class, but I wish they could have played in one class. Um, because we, you know, my first year at Paoli, we lost to Pat Graham and Floyd Central at Roberts Stadium. And, uh, you know, it was one of the greatest things that ever happened. Uh, we lost to Ladrell uh, Whitehead. We yep. lost to Sprout Wilkerson at Terre Haute in the Holman Center. You know, we're, we're, our whole town was there. You know, they make these jokes about turning the lights out when you leave. That was the truth at Paoli. <laughs> there was nobody in Paoli when we played those games. And I just think that that it was a mistake going from, uh, you know, single to multi-class. It is what it is now. The kids don't know any different now, so what, you know, right. doesn't matter. Uh, but those first few years, you know, my kids knew. And I'm glad we had success because, it, it you know, it certainly made a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, we've kind of gotten signals on both of those too. Doug, everybody kind of has their own different opinion about. I like yeah. the fact that we're in class basketball because all of my kids now we get a chance to succeed. But right. I like the fact that you kind of dig your heels in a little bit and have the opinion oh. you do because you know you came into it at Paoli and you guys had success. And I'm kind of with you. If you're going to play and be successful, let's let's get on board and let's play the best teams we can and see what happens. Yeah, I mean that. There's a lot to be said for selling out Paoli's gym. Yeah. Uh, 4,600. Going to Washington and have that be a sellout every time we were there. It was a sellout. It wasn't because of us. We, we did our share. Right. But there were other schools there that all, you know, whatever size they were, felt like they had a chance. And uh, good basketball traditions. You know, it was, it was great for our community. On both sides. Yeah. But I, if you're asking me which I enjoyed more, it certainly was, you know, single class. Coach, I'm going to actually ask you a little bit about one of those teams that you went on tournament run with. Um, in 99, you went to uh, the state finals. Um, can you talk a little bit about that team and, you know, what made that group special and, and how they, and how they uh, ultimately got there to the state championship game? Well, what I tell people about that team is we had four basketball players and eight football players. And I think, my experience, one thing that helped us a lot is the farther you go in the tournament, the less there is called. And I'm just talking about from a physical nature. The games are more physical the farther you go. Maybe everybody else had experienced that, but, but it certainly was mine. And, you know, I had a, a tremendous point guard, Dusty Cole. Imagine that. Yeah. You know, player, player coach on the floor. Um, I had uh, Derek Van Emmen, football quarterback. I had Joey Stevenson. I had David McDonald, football players. Dusty was a football player, Michael Harmon, football player, Luke Kimmel, football player. And we did not, we enjoyed the fact that it was getting more physical every Saturday. And I think that helped us some. Uh, but that team was, man, you talk about intelligent. I mean, 
there are doctors and lawyers on that team who aren't even making as much money as other guys. Uh, just really intelligent. You know, you, you coach some teams, and it's funny because I had a team right before that that made it to Butler Fieldhouse, lost on a last-second shot the year before to go to the state finals. That team was all athletes. They did not want scouting reports. They didn't want they didn't want to know what the other teams in balance plays were. You know, we we don't need to know that. We just we just need to know what we're gonna do. And it was that kind of team. Um, then this next team comes along and you know, we're talking about Hanover College guys. Uh, they want to know where every cut's coming from. And they took great pride in five second calls on underneath out of bounds plays. And they were successful with it. You know, they knew what was coming. You hold up a finger, you, it better be a different finger than you held up last week. If you hold up three, and it's still three, we're going to be standing where you're running. And I loved it for that. You know, if you coach long enough, you'll see that each team is different, and you got to, you got to handle them different, prepare them different. You can still prepare them well, but there are some things that you can do that, that you can't do with others. And they were a super intelligent team, very together, uh, best friends on and off the floor, um, just uh, a dream, really, to coach and be around. I know in working with you just the two years, but picking up as much stuff as I picked up, one of the things that I admired most about you with the amount of experiences you had was your willingness each year to adapt and change to the guys that were on the team. It wasn't like you came in every single year with the exact same approach or the exact same stance um, and trying to coach each group the exact same way. And even from year one to year two with you, with a very similar squad that we had only losing two or three guys and bringing back virtually everybody, the way in which we approached that first year didn't look anything like the way we approached the second year. So if you could talk a little bit and how, even with your, your state title runs, how you're willing to come in and approach one group one way and one group another way. I think there's a lot of coaches out there that that makes them incredibly uncomfortable, but it always impressed me and how comfortable you were in being able to do that. Well, I think some of it is experience. The younger you are, the less comfortable you are changing. You know, man, my first two or three years, I'm sure I wasn't very comfortable changing (laughs) because you're teaching things a different way or, you know, everything's different. And the longer you go, the more you know. And the more you know, the more comfortable you are teaching different things. We're not... uh, college we can't recruit our players what you have is what you have uh, some guys may not come out some may get hurt some may move some may move in you don't know but I think summer's good for that at least if you have all your players knowing what you're looking at in the fall and then you have time before the fall gets there to figure out what you're going to do with them and I think a lot of it is just individual skills, what each guy can do, what spot can you put them in where they can have some success, and then how does that fit in the team picture. But for me, that was the fun part. Um, And I think because of experience, that was the challenge, and that was what keeps you fresh and keeps you a young guy coaching because you – realize that every year you may even have most of the same kids, but your team will be different um, depending on who you rely on and what you rely on. And that, you know, putting the pieces together is, I think, what every coach really enjoys to do. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, coach, that's, that's really interesting to hear coming from you because that's one of the things I think that Derek and I have talked about a lot, the way kind of people come in and they've got their own system and, um, you know, they, they don't adapt to the, to the players around them. Uh, when you are looking at that from the opposite side and you've, you know, been a lot of different, 
schools and coached a lot of different, you know, against a lot of different systems and, and brought your, you know, your things into different places. Is there a particular style of play that you had to adapt to because it kind of gave you trouble in terms of maybe scouting against it or playing against it? Is there something that um, maybe um, kind of, I would say, maybe kept you up at night, you know what I mean, that kind of style that was tougher to adapt to? Is that something that across the board or has that happened to a particular place? Well, I think anything that you have to prepare for that is out of the norm, to me, was, was hard to prepare for. And it's just because of the time. Um, I want to press and run. I want my kids to have fun. I want us to be up and down the floor. I want us to be fun to watch. Uh, when I came to Paoli, it was butcher ball. Okay? So you got the leading coach in the state who's coaching 35 minutes from you, and his scores are 10 to 6. <laughs> I went and scouted him one night, and the score at halftime was 4 to 2. And I'm telling you, they passed up 20 wide open layups in the first half just to keep the ball. Just to keep, The other team was going to let them score. Just to get the ball back. 4 to 2 at halftime. crowd was going crazy. That was, when I played for Coach Ritter, we pressed. Way back then, we pressed. It was so much fun. So I always have wanted to do that. To me, if you're going to hold the ball, and I'm going to play four straight opponents that all do that and play slow, that's easier for me to get ready for than somebody who's going to come in and half-court trap us uh, on a Saturday night after a Friday night game. So, you know, a lot of it depends on talent. A lot of it depends on the kind of coaching. If it's good coaching, um, you know, you can get taken apart by anything. Um, Jack Butcher did one thing. He ran delay offense. He played soft man-to-man half-court defense for the most part. And they did that every day for two and a half hours and every Friday and Saturday night. They were great at it. You better be better than them in order to beat them. Okay? Coach Merrill, when I started with him, we played 2-3 zone. 1-2-2 two, two zone, man-to-man. We pressed 2-2-1, two, 1-2-1-1, two, one, one, two, one, one, run and jump. Now, were we as good at any of those as Jack Butcher's teams were at Lagodi doing the, the two things that they did well? No. But Coach Merrill, and this is how smart he was, Coach Merrill was thinking about sectionals and Friday, Saturdays. So you you play somebody on Friday night that plays the normal way, half court, half court, half court, and then you play us on Saturday night, and we're going to press and run, we're going to play three defenses, and we're going to play three presses, and you're going to come in on Saturday morning for an hour and a half. Which are you going to go through? So he would throw everything at everybody in the first half on Saturday night. Well, on Friday too, but on Saturday night, he would throw everything and find out what you've talked about. And then at halftime, he would come in and say, this is what they're not ready for. I took that because he's the guy I learned from, and I didn't know any different at the time. Uh, He did run motion offense. He was a big Coach Knight fan. But he had a lot of special plays that you had to prepare for. And he had a call sheet, just like I've had for 30 years. When I got to Paoli, what I found out was when you get in the tournament and you play Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, or you play Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, and now you're not preparing for one one offense or one defense. Now you're preparing for three or four that we've done all year long. Which have you prepared for and which haven't you? And I really feel like that helped us a ton in second games, regionals. It helped us in... Uh, second night games, you know, whatever. It, it helped us a lot. And I've had coaches that we played against tell me that. You know, we just we played them in the morning. They run motion and half-court man. And then we go back to the hotel, and, you know, we're in the hotel uh, convention room trying to walk through two presses, you know, or two half-court traps. And so I don't think we were as good at any of those as you can be, but we were good enough that we could keep you off balance some.
So teams that, that kept us off balance were the ones that I worried more about. In 1998, we played Winchester at uh, Butler Fieldhouse, packed house. Winchester was ranked number one uh, in the state. And we, we took them to the woodshed. We, we prepared all week for them. We knew exactly what they were going to do. Uh, our kids did a, a tremendous job of playing the game in front of that kind of crowd, you know. Uh, we went back to the hotel. We played Jerry Baumholt, Southwestern, in the night game. 1-2-2 two, two zone. Hadn't seen it all year. And even if we had, wasn't Jerry's 1-2-2. Two, two. Because his was the best. Still is, I think, the best. So we had an hour in the hotel to try to go through how we're going to attack a 1-2-1-1. We were averaging about 78 points a game. The final score was 44-42. So our own theory came back to bite us. <laughs> right. Because they were able, we could not speed them up, and they were able to slow us down. So... I don't know. It's it's if teams are good, you know. I was at I was at Tell City and we played Gene uh, Gene's team from Washington, Gene Miller's, a couple of years ago. And they were way better than us to begin with. Uh, we tried to play two three zone against them, pack it in. First quarter they cut us up. Tried to play man, cut us up. Tried to play half court trap, cut us up. Because fundamentally they were that good. Right. So that, that has a lot to say about it. Yeah, Cam and I we we talk just about every every day, every other day, and especially during the season, we're all the time going over stuff, and he's picking my brain, and I'm trying to feed him some stuff. And one of the things that I I took from you, one of the big points I took from you that you just touched on, because it was six days a week for six or seven months, was the fact that we are going to have more things that we do than the other team can prepare for. And I always thought going into every game, it doesn't matter what we do because we have something in our back pocket that they've not been able to scout for because they've had, like you said, they've had a morning walkthrough on a Saturday or, you know, they've had a couple of days during the week. But there's no chance that they've gone over everything that we have. If they have, they've not gone over it very well. Right. And that was something I always liked working with you with because I knew that we were going to have more stuff than what the other team could, could feasibly go over. Yeah. It's like confusion, you know. <laughs> and I, we, we tried to put in four or five man and zone specials before Christmas. And at Christmas time, or right before Christmas, we would put a new one in each week. We would make it a timeout play. So we're going to go through it during the week. We're going to come out of a quarter, but we're going to come out of a timeout, and we're going to run this. We would do that. Next week, we would add another one. And now our timeout play, maybe we can run off of a dead ball free throw or something where our kids have time to think. And by you know, the time we get around sectional time, we've got a sheet full of, of man and zone and stuff to do against different kinds of defenses. And, you know, you can, you can surprise people with things that you're doing just because they have too much to prepare for. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was something that was just a whole lot of fun. Every every night, whether it was a, a Tuesday night game or whether it was a Friday, Saturday back-to-back, it was always fun in seeing your brain work, but then also seeing what the other team had prepared for and then picking up on what they had not prepared for, like you said. Yeah, yeah. If they're not calling out what you're calling out, you're getting down the list. Yeah. <laughs> Coach, did you have any matchups with other coaches that you felt like were maybe not necessarily a challenge, but kind of those like they call a chess match? Did you have any coaches that you really enjoyed, uh, you know, going against because they they were challenging in that way, or they would catch you off guard, or you might catch them off guard? Do you have any coaches that you remember that you know really had some fun matchups with? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, and I, I would miss people uh, trying to name them all, but um, I always had had a good time. Um, Tom Bradley at Orleans. Yeah, we always had. Of course, he coached for me. He was my JV coach when I started at Paoli, so we knew each other a little bit anyway, and that was always fun. Uh, Hank Whedon at Salem. I always enjoyed coaching against him. Uh, there was a guy at Corden one time named Pels. 
You remember him? Yep. I do. You yep. played matchup zone, chess match every night you played him. Yeah. Uh, Coach Hinton, obviously. And Coach Hinton, you know, I, I guess you'd have to talk to him, but I think he's a, a little bit like that philosophy of preparing for too much because I don't care what you went through in practice for a, a Joe Hinton team, you weren't covering what he was going to throw at you. You know, you were not going to do it. Uh, and that's on offense and defense. Uh, Gene Miller at Washington, uh, outstanding coach. There's a bunch, man. I'll tell you, uh, Dave Bitter at Brownstown, you always knew that they would be well prepared and they would find something to throw at you that you hopefully were not ready for. I mean, he, we had we had some great games. When I was at Paoli and Dave was starting out, we had some, gosh, I remember we played a triple overtime game at Brownstown one night on homecoming night. Um, and we did, we had some, some real good ones. Doc Nash was always prepared for you. Um, you know, it's funny when you, when you talk about the guys that you have fun coaching against, if you would make a who's who list up of who the best coaches are in this area and around here and have been, those are the guys. Those are the ones you like going against and trying to, you know, see who can out prepare who. Because you know both teams are going to play hard. You know, when right. You, when you play Joe Hinton or you play <clears throat> Dave Benner, you know both teams are going to play hard. So it's going to come down to execution and scouting, and, and that's when it gets fun as a coach. You feel like you're playing the game then. And there's times I've walked out of our locker room, uh, maybe even when you were there, Derek, and I told our kids, this is a night I would love to be playing. Yeah. I would love to be playing this game. So, yeah, there's. I'll tell you, I've, I've got friends in different states, and I've visited their practices some, and we've talked some, and even guys from Indiana that coach in different states now, and they'll all tell you there is nothing like the coaching in, in Indiana. Yeah, we talked to a few guys that have left left Indiana to go to other states, myself too, and, you know, they, they kind of talk about just simply bringing – they can go to a state and obviously athletes translate and there's good players across the country, but um, like some of those guys have said, just simply going into their new location and implementing some Indiana principles and fundamentals, Yeah, he goes, we can run the table out here. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, I mean – you're John Wooden if you go somewhere else, you know? Yeah. I've got a buddy in Florida that coaches from Seymour named Bob Louster, really good high school coach here, and then his wife and him retired, and he's teaching and coaching in Florida. And uh, I think he would tell you the same thing. Some of the stuff that works here, people haven't seen down there. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of it's on the defensive end, too. I hear a lot of coaches will say they go somewhere, and some of the defensive principles, especially man-to-man, just yeah. shock people. Yeah. Yeah, they, you know, I, you, you would think that everybody has heard of, of some of the terms we use as far as help side and, and, and uh, you know, all, help and recover and all that. We'd probably be surprised how many people have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you talk to some that leave the state and, they, you know, they go out yep. there, you know, first, you know, day one, it's shell drill, and they'll yep. come back and talk about how the kids they're at have no clue what shell drill is. No. No. Guard your man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got Johnny. Stay with Johnny. <laughs> oh, well, Coach, in, in, in your time, you've had a chance to, to see some of the absolute best the state's had to offer. And we'll, we'll get into a top five list here in, here in a little bit. But as far as guys that you've had a chance to, to coach against and prepare for, you don't necessarily have to pick a top player, but – who are some of like your your three, four, or five toughest guys that you've had to coach against? Well, I've got the usual list, but the very first name on my list is a guy you may not have heard from or heard about. Uh, his name is Troy Hudson. You ever okay. heard that name? I'm familiar. When when we were pretty good in the you know the early 90s, uh, Timmy Knight, Coach Knight's son, yeah. put on these one-day shootouts with Indiana teams against teams from Illinois, Kentucky, Ohio. 
first year we played in it, believe it or not, we played at Southport, and we played against Chicago Westinghouse. So here's Paoli, uh, you know, 2A playing against Chicago Westinghouse. They beat us by 8 or 10. Uh, they had Damian Dantzler on that team that went to UofL. They had a kid named Freeman that signed with IU. Okay. Anyhow, really good. Coaching was outstanding. Couldn't believe it. Thought it would be Johnny, where's your man? Yeah. It was unreal. We had such a good relationship with them the day that we played them that we invited them to Paoli. And they drove from Chicago to Paoli the next year okay. and we played them on a Saturday night. Yeah. No Back kidding. Out. Wow. Back they played in a chain link fence after school with security guards with 200 people. Oh, okay. shoot. Okay. In the middle of Chicago, yes. Anyhow, really good players on that team. The next year, we went to a shootout and we played Carbondale, Illinois. Yep. And they had a, a guard, about a 6'2 guard sleepy looking guy that looked like he didn't care if he was out there or not named Troy Hudson he scored I think 42 on us including the game winner from behind the backboard about 12 feet out fading out of bounds it literally went over the corner of the backboard <laughs> in the net Troy goes to Missouri is on a lot of all American lists gets drafted, played most of his career in uh, Minnesota, but was a starter for three or four years in the NBA. Oh, wow. Shoot. Look him up sometime. Oh, yeah. incredible. We had, we had some pretty good defenders. I was going to say, you didn't give up 42. Oh. You didn't give up 42 to a guy very often. Yeah. And, I mean, we knew. We'd scouted him, and we knew going in, but I could not believe how good that guy was. The rest of my list... Anthony Winchester. He put us out of the regional as a senior. Seacat uh, had 41 and he had 55, maybe, at Southridge. Uh, Pat Graham, Ladrell Whitehead, Sharon Wilkerson. Those are probably the best guys I've seen that we played against. Um, you know, you, I, I, you know, Kaufman Wren, very good player. Uh, a lot of guys that went Division One, but these guys, I mean, Winchester could do whatever he wanted. You know, I mean, we we literally to end the game at Southridge when they beat us in the regional final. He was coming across the midcourt line and shooting. So whatever step it took for him to clear that line. Because we had two guys waiting on him. We had two guys trying to funnel him in between them. Yeah. And so he just, you know, rather than mess with that, he just pulled <laughs> up a shot. <laughs> of course, on the other end, Seacat was doing about the same thing. Yeah. So it was a heck of a game to to watch. But, yeah, Winchester was, was very good. And he was a dog, you know. He was, he was a competitor, man. Um, but, yeah, Graham was very good. I told my told my defenders my first year at Paoli we go to Robert Stadium. I got a kid that's a doctor now, uh, named Matt Nofsiger, great defensive player. And I told Matt, I said, Matt, I don't care what happens today, he does not make a three. He does not make a three. Quit Mr. Basketball. He does <laughs> not make a three. We're walking <laughs> we're walking off the court at Robert Stadium. They win. And Matt taps me on the shoulder. And he goes, he didn't make a three. So what? He didn't make a three. I get to the press room, and they've got the stats there. He had 27 points, but he had no threes. <laughs> <laughs> he figured out since Matt wasn't giving threes, he'd take all the twos he wanted. Yeah. But, yeah, that's, that's a heck of a list of Southern Indiana players that were pretty good. We didn't play against Bailey, but obviously he's on every list. How many times did you guys see Winchester that year, Coach? Did you get them twice? We got them uh, at Austin. And I don't – he went for around 40 and CCAT was close to that there. 
and then we played them in the in the regional final. Yep. I saw a picture the other day, and you probably saw it too, from CCAT's Facebook. Um, somebody screenshotted it and sent me to it where he went to the, oh, was it the Nike camp? Yep. That he went to where he was on the same team as J.J. Reddick, and you yep. were telling me about how him being on Reddick's team basically yeah. got him recruited to Northwestern. Evan went up there. Um, Tate's lock. Okay, that was a co- help coach night. He and Dr. Sibbett at Paoli were close friends. Tate's would come to our practices some. He would come during the offseason. I mean, he was, turned out to be a great friend of mine. The Nike ABCD camp was in Indianapolis at the Hoosier Dome, and they had all these courts set up. And, of course, they invited the best players from around the country. Well, they always needed a few players from Indiana to fill out rosters. And, you know, Evan was highly recruited in Indiana, but mm-hmm. not around the country. Right. Um, he gets on a team. They invite him to come up and play on a team. He gets on J.J. Reddick's team. The court for a J.J. Reddick game is surrounded by coaches every game. They're trying their best not to let J.J. Reddick win these games, the other team. They know who he is. Because of that, Evan got some open looks. And when Evan gets an open look, Evan don't miss. He hit six threes in one game, seven in one game. I went and watched him for one day and and came back. And when I came back, for the age of cell phones, when I came back, I walk in the door, my wife's holding the phone. And she goes, this thing has been ringing all day. So I get on there, and it's, I think it was from Eastern Illinois there was a coach. But that evening, uh, Coach Carmody from Northwestern called. Yeah. Hey, you know, gosh, we saw Evan play at the camp, you know, what a shooter, you know, and everything. So being in that spot, he would have went Division One in Indiana somewhere. He had offers from a lot of schools. But going Big Ten happened in two days. When they saw him, crazy how fast that happened. Yeah, yeah, he just you know, that, who's this little kid from Indiana? We don't know who he is. We don't, re- yeah. don't recognize his name. And by the time it was over, there were a lot of coaches that did. <laughs> I mean, they, he had a lot of choices, but you know, it's hard to turn the Big Ten down. Oh yeah, absolutely. And he became a pretty pretty solid Big Ten player. Yes, yes, he did. He did them well, and you know. Guys living in Miami, come on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it didn't hurt him any, that's for sure. But he took advantage of the situation. Right. And that's what you have to do. Um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, it was a great thing to happen to him, and it turned out good for both parties because he he was a very good player for him. And, and you know, he's still a big Northwestern fan, man. That's for sure. Well, maybe he can give them a little bit of guidance in their new hiring process they've got for football yeah. and baseball. They're going to need some help, I think. <laughs> I can tell you, I went and watched practice and games up there when he was there, and I never, I never had to worry about that with Coach Carmody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, Cam, go. So, yeah, so, Coach, to, to transition with that, let's go to – We've had a couple episodes here where we, you know, discussed some some fun basketball topics. Uh, I think our first one we did was, you know, our all-time Indiana basketball players list. Uh, we've drafted a team. We've talked about that top five or top ten. Um, you can look at it how you want to, but do you have uh, – who would you put on your top five Indiana basketball players of all time? You could have that as a starting lineup that you you now have the, you know, the, the – great uh, opportunity to coach or you can just rank your top five right well I, you know they were a little before my time but obviously I don't think you can have any list in Indiana without um, Oscar and George McGinnis yeah I mean I just you know they they pretty much even their pro careers you know they may have had the best pro careers of anybody coming out of Indiana yeah you know? I like Bailey I like Romeo I like Larry Bird just because of what happened to him after high school. Yeah. Right. All-state player on the all-star team, has a chance to go to IU. Those were credible enough 
small town Indiana player. Uh, it was the Hoosier story in a way for, for him. And then to turn out like he did was, you know, pretty incredible. Um, I've got a Larry Bird story I'll tell you if you want to hear it later. Uh, ben Robinson, Steve Offer. I, I would put them, you know, that's, that's more than five, but I think Oscar and, and McGinnis uh, are, are, would be on everybody's list. And then a lot of it depends on your, your time period when you grew yeah. up or coached or, you know. I can tell you that Oscar Robertson came into our all-star practice up in Indianapolis one day unannounced and introduced himself to the team. I have shaked George McGinnis's hand. Oscar Robertson is bigger. Yeah. Huh. Imagine that. Yeah. That dude's hand swallowed mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I think, you know, just from Southern Indiana, you know, the, the ones probably that everybody would list are, are the ones that deserve to be on there. Right. For sure. We're here to Larry Bird's yeah, story. What's your, yeah, what's your bird story? Literally. We have we to. Time. Yeah, we oh, got we time. Got plenty of time for that. My first year at Paoli, month of August, school's just started. I'm a new guy. And back then, if you had a phone call, they would, you know, call you on the intercom. You had to come to the front office and answer your phone calls. You didn't have extensions in your rooms or whatever. Yeah. I get a phone call about 3.05 right after the bells ring in the afternoon from Ms. Babcock, who was our secretary. She said, Coach Brown, please come to the office for a phone call. I walk up there, walk in. Of course, it's busy after school. And she points me to the printing room extension. She goes, I'm going to ring it back there. It's Larry Bird. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay. All right, Ms. Babcock, whatever you say. I'm thinking, you know, somebody from home is playing joke on me. Right. Answer the phone. Coach Larry Bird. Coach, it is Larry. This is Larry Bird. <laughs> I said, okay. Just want to make sure it was legit. He goes, no. He said, I'm home. I'm in French Lick for the next month, and we're playing some pickup games on my court. And uh, I heard you have a 6'9 kid. I do. Robert Carr. Yeah. And he said, I heard you have two guards that are pretty good. I said, yep, I think so. And he said, would they want to come down and play these pickup games? I need somebody tall to guard me. And I said, well, I'll ask them, but I'd say they're probably going to say, sure. You know, Larry had an outside court, a couple rows of bleachers on one end, just sit down and rest on uh, regulation NBA court. I don't think it was possible back then, but I swear he had halogen lights over top of it because it lit up <laughs> daylight. And he had a bunch of friends from French Lick, and then my three guys. And for the next month and a half, they – Went to Larry's on Tuesday and Thursday. I, I drove them down there the first week, uh, yeah, just to go, and also to take them down because they were scared to death. <laughs> and, yeah, they played. They played. He was getting ready to go to training camp, and he wanted to cut and get in shape. And so my my six nine kid guarded him, tried to guard him. Yeah. So Robert's getting recruited by a few Division one schools. He ended up going to the University of St. Louis, but Tennessee Tech is one of the schools that was recruiting. And I can't remember the guy's name, but this big old 6'4", country-talking assistant coach from Tennessee Tech was assigned to Robert. And he come watch him play, and he called him, and he called me, and real nice guy. And he calls one night, and it's about 5 o'clock, and he said, Coach, I'm on my way back from Indianapolis recruiting a kid. I'm, I'm going back to, uh, to Tech, and he said, I'm come through your way. Could I think I could see Robert for a minute to say hi to him? And I said, yeah, I don't see why not. He's playing ball tonight. And I said, but he's not playing at the high school, so just come to my house. So don't say anything else to him. He comes to my house, gets up in my car. We drive down. There's a back way that you could go to Larry's house from Paoli without coming through French Lake. And Larry's house and his court set over a hillside. So you're looking down a hillside at his, his house and his court. And we're driving along talking. I don't say a word. And he goes, what, what's, he, what's he doing? I said, well, he's playing on this outdoor court down here. They play down here a couple nights a week. And a couple of my other kids are there. And they're just playing pickup games. But you can talk to him. 
Well, <laughs> we come over the hilltop, and I'm on the driver's side, and he's on the he's on the passenger side, which is on the side where the court is. And as we start to slow down and pull up this little drive at the top of the hill, I'm not going to repeat exactly what he said. He said, "Is that Larry Bird down there?" <laughs> yeah, coach, didn't I tell you? He goes, "Are you kidding me?" And I said, "No." I said, "Come on, let's go on down there." He goes, "No, you got to be joking." Okay. <laughs> and I said, "Well, you want to talk to Robert, right?" And he goes, "Yeah." I said, "Well, there he is, right there." So I take this guy. We go down there. We watch like two or three games. And he finally, as it's getting dark, he has to leave. And he met Bird, and he was everybody in Orange County. Nobody asked Bird for autographs. Larry could go anywhere, and nobody bothered him. And I told him, I said, "Listen, don't you know, don't ask for autographs or that stuff." Because oh, I won't, I won't. I just want to watch him play. <laughs> but we sat there for almost an hour watching a kid he's recruiting play against Larry Bird. <laughs> It was, if you know, now if you had a cell phone, if you could videotape that, that would be gold. Oh, Seeing his face coming over that hill. That's got to be his all-time great recruiting story. I wish I knew where he was because I guarantee you he still tells that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean that was you know that's Bird in his prime. They're winning right. championships. And he, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, that's my that's one of my one of my Larry Bird stories. Yeah, I, I had an All Star baseball tournament over there. Gosh, when we were pretty young, but it was right inside French Lick, and so on the way home one night, our buddy's mom made sure she drove us by Larry's house on the way home. Yep. Yep. A little back road. You wouldn't yeah. think there's anything out there until you get there. Yeah. And there's you know for him, that just says a lot about Larry Bird. It was a modest house. You know, he had a four-car garage, a basketball court, and a tennis court. But it did not look like, you know, it didn't look like you were on cribs. Right. <laughs> it was a really nice house, but it wasn't like he was trying to flaunt it. He didn't build it out in the middle of, of where everybody's going to be. He built it where he wanted it, you know. The only, yeah, the only thing that stood out about it was the basketball court. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm telling you, I don't think halogen lights had been invented back then. That would have been in 89 but I'm telling you, when they turned those lights on, it was like sunlight out there. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. yeah. That, was, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a good time when you've got that kind of talent that can get attention and bring in those types of people to your program. That's, a, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody just happened to mention to him, I'm sure, that, you know, hey, Pale, he's got a big kid down there. If you want to call him, I'm sure he'd play yeah. a nice kid, which he was. You know, Robert's shy as could be. But, you know, Robert got taken to school for about a month. <laughs> <laughs> How much better was Robert when he showed up in October? He was a lot more confident, I can tell you that. <laughs> I told him, I said, hey, Robert, you're not going to play anybody who looks like that <laughs> all year long. Yeah. You're not going to play anybody even close to that. So, yeah, he was feeling, you know, he was feeling uh, a lot better about himself. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> well, Coach, we won't try to keep you a whole lot longer. We've kind of got our, our – we've done our top five. And then one of our other big questions here with the, with the podcast is all-time favorite basketball movies. So if you've got an all-time favorite or if you've got a couple that you kind of all mix in there together, what are some of your favorite basketball movies? Well, I mean – Hoosiers for sure just because being from a small school especially from a small school area that just epitomizes everything that basketball and coaching are, are even about you know I think that tells the story um, better than anybody could tell it about our area and I mean I know it's Milan but it's man it's Paoli it's you know it's South Central. It's it's everybody that's courted. It's everybody from a small town. Yeah. Um, so that one for sure. I I I would watch Coach Carter again today. Uh, that you know, if you're an old school coach and you like watching that, that has to appeal to you. So I like that one a lot. 
I saw an interview with him today. He's coaching slam ball now. He is. <laughs> yeah, they're bringing slam ball back from, what, was it 2003 or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Right. he's a slam ball head coach. That is, yeah, that that's one of those movies, well, both of those movies, in the first five minutes, you're hooked. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. it only gets better from there, but you know you're watching the whole thing after five minutes. Yeah, he said it's 98.5% accurate. Really? Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, that's great. Watching, watch, you know, of course, hanging around Coach Knight, you know, that's, that's uh, vanilla. Yeah, but a right. But vanilla, you know, yeah. for sure. Well, and speaking of Coach Knight, did you get a chance to be anything, any around any of the blue chip stuff when that movie was being made? I did not. I did not. I, I know they were doing it. I don't know if that was. I don't. I know they were doing it, but I was not around where they were doing it. Okay. They were doing. Yeah. I didn't know if maybe they gave a Paoli a chance to maybe do a little filming there. Or, I knew a lot of it was up in Frankfurt, but. What the, is it, uh, Mario Puzo? guy that did Hoosiers? What's the guy's name? Angelo. Yeah, Angelo. Uh, Yes. Walks in the gym at Paoli one day. Okay. I'm teaching PE. Here comes three suits and him. Okay. And they got their clipboards and, you know, who are these guys? He walks up, introduces himself, and says, hey, we're filming a movie called Hoosiers. And we're looking at Southern Indiana gyms. And I said, oh, my. I said, well, this is probably one of the bigger ones. And he goes, well, he goes, I'll be honest with you. We're not going to use it. I can tell right now. And I said, why is that? He said, it's too big. And you have this petition that's your cafeteria wall. Yeah. You know, the purple and gold wall? Yeah. He said, we can't have anything that new in it. It has to be older. And they left, they left us, went to French Lick. And ended up down in Huntingburg, and one of their gyms, it might yeah. be Cabby O'Neill, is one of the gyms that they use. Okay. Yeah, those guys were driving around looking for places that they were going to film Hoosiers. So. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You were that close, Coach. Real close. <laughs> Could have just pulled that petition back that day. You got to tell them it had to come with a movie spot, too. Oh, something. Yeah. You know. Opposing coach or something. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, before that movie, one of my favorite actors was Gene Hackman. So, yeah, that would have been a dream. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> coach, we're, we're so glad to have you on today. We're, uh, we, we love the stories. We could probably be on here for hours with this. Um, really appreciate you joining us here on the Picket Fence Podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for, for joining us. Yeah, Coach, we won't see any more of your time. It's good seeing you, good talking to you. We appreciate it, man. Well, I think it's a great thing that you're doing. Uh, not only does it promote basketball in southern Indiana, it, it promotes coaches. And, uh, you know, there's so many good ones. You'll have, you'll have a list a long, long way of coaches that you could have on this this show that would do a really good job and be interesting to listen to. Um, we're really blessed to have that in Southern Indiana and to have a group of coaches, retired, young, new, JV, uh, established varsity coaches that are all kind of a tight-knit group. And yeah. I, I think that, you know, says an awful lot about our area and, and why – Southern Indiana's had a lot of success in, in the state tournaments and with, with uh, all-stars and, and coaches and everything else. So I really appreciate you doing it. I'm a member now. Absolutely. And, uh, there you go. I'll, I'll be sure to listen to some of these other guys. I was listening to Shannon the other day. i got to finish that one up. But I've listened to uh, I've listened to Doc and I've listened to Miller already. And I'm halfway through Shannon. So I think it's a great thing you're doing, and I appreciate you including me. Hey, not a problem. Anytime. You are always welcome. All right, man. Maybe one night we'll just have a story night. That's hey, we can set that up. We can set that up for sure.
I'm sure there are other guys that have better ones than me, but I would be interested in listening to them, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. All right, Coach. Thanks, Coach. Thank you, Thanks, sir. Guys. Appreciate it. Okay, Cam, let's go ahead and put a bow on this thing. We'll tie this one off. Absolutely great conversation there with Coach Brown. Again, can't thank him enough uh, for jumping on here with us and having a conversation and, and telling stories and um, just kind of sharing some wisdom. And hopefully the, the nice thing there is that stuff kind of rubs off on you. We've been lucky and very fortunate to have some uh, very well-known and highly successful coaches across the state. And, you know, having Coach Brown on adds another 500 wins to our, our list here. So, uh, closing thoughts on, on your part before we get out of here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think at this point we might be the we might be the winningest Indiana basketball podcast around right now, I think, with, with Coach Shannon and Coach Brown really racking up the win totals. <laughs> uh, yeah, again, uh, big thank you to Coach Mike Brown. Uh, so much wisdom that he threw our way. Some great stories. Um, we thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate you guys jumping in. Please feel free to share uh, these podcast episodes like us on uh, on Facebook and find us on Instagram and Twitter at the Picket Fence Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back soon with some more fun episodes and some some great guests. And uh, for both of us here, as always, on the Picket Fence Podcast, don't, don't get, get caught watching the paint dry. <laughs>